You're listening to The Virtuous Mind, a podcast from Providence Christian College that discusses all facets of the human experience and the liberal arts from a biblical worldview. I'm your host, Dr. David E. Alexander. Assuming you have not been living in a cave for the last few years, what do you make of the education wars currently taking place in the U.S.? What do they reveal about our understanding of human nature, of the point and purpose of human life? How would you articulate the purpose of education? There are various conceptions of the point of education vying for power in the U.S. right now. From K-12 to colleges and universities, we are witnessing how different views of human nature result in different models of education. In that sense, there is something to celebrate. What was once implicit is being made explicit. What was once hidden is now being revealed. The secular culture is increasingly revealing its understanding of the purpose of humans by revealing its understanding of the purpose of education. But how should Christians understand the purpose of education? In this episode, I sit down with Ron Young of Providence Academy in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Ron recently founded the Palatine Institute, which aims to help Christians develop a cultural expression of biblical faith in everyday life. Ron, thanks so much for being on The Virtuous Mind today. Thanks for having me. Let me start by just asking you a very general question. How would you describe what the purpose of education is? How would you tell someone what they should think education is all about? Wonderful question. I believe that education has to do with the passing down of a culture from one generation to another. As a Christian education, that culture needs to be firmly rooted in Scripture. But it's all going to revolve around the big thing, which is God made us in his image, male and female. We are to love him with all our soul, strength, and mind, and uh, to love our neighbor as ourself. That's the sum of the law. So as a culture studies God's word and his law, the culture should reflect what God has revealed. So putting in the context of uh, like history, we see over and over again in a, in a fallen world because of sin entering in, the systems of the world, the culture of the world have been a, a mixed bag because there's still a common grace. God has still made us and, and made the world good, but because of our fallen nature, we're curved in on ourselves and things can be a great mess. God gave us the law at Sinai, and that helped develop Israel as a culture. We know by the giving of the law that the law is good, and the law shows us how we ought to live, but it is powerless to save or sanctify us. So Christ came and has given us his spirit, and now as our hearts can be sanctified by his spirit and we can have union with him, our task as the church, for instance, is enculturating our children in the kingdom of God. Because of this, we can look at our cultural context, the United States of America. We've been commanded by Christ that all authority has been given to him on heaven and earth, and we should be discipling the nations. 
this is what the educational process is, is discipling the nations, discipling our own children, that we can take our place as fit citizens of Christ's kingdom in the local context that we are in. So as we're learning what it means to be a human being, how to live as a man or a woman in our world under the authority of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we're becoming salt and light in our world. What's happening as the church does its job in education, that is training up the next generation to fit into that society, but as a Christian, is that instead of the church becoming more like America, we're making America more like the kingdom of God. That's the main goal of education. And it has to do with the formation then of souls. The Greeks had a way, uh, they they called, um, I think in Aristotle, uh, techne is um, kind of a craft or a skill. And I think a lot of times when we talk about education in America, people are thinking in that techne. That is, we're supposed to teach kids how to get a job and exist in our world, uh, to have certain skills and, and things. And I, I'm not saying that's bad. That's actually good. They, they need to learn those things. The other aspect is called erete, which has to do with excellence or moral excellence. Education primarily needs to be about that arete. As we're teaching children, um, in my context, K through 12, we're trying to help them develop moral virtue. In other words, the goal of our education is not that they get a job, but it's to become a good human being. So the arete or the virtue of being a human being, being a man or being a woman is of the utmost importance. So when we teach, say we're teaching history, it's not only that they're learning the facts about what has happened in history. It's being able to look at what God has done in human history, how human beings have acted in human history so that we might learn uh, the lessons of human history. In other words, teaching history is not a techne. It's primarily a way in which we can see more clearly what God has done in our world and what how human beings have behaved. And then learning the lessons of that, it's helping us to gain wisdom, which is what uh, is one of the excellencies of, of being a human being. It'll always show that we fail as human beings to do what is good, to do what is right. And as our students attempt to live the kind of life that God wants us to live, to pursue moral excellence, what they will discover is that they too, like everyone else in human history, fails, with the exception of Jesus Christ. And so the idea is that in education, as we're training kids to be good people, that is, they're living out what, how God had created them to live, we will fail, and it shows that we need a Savior. So in a good education, we're learning to be good humans. Part of being a good human is to understand our sin, our need for a Savior, our desire to submit to that Savior and continue to live a good life as a result of His grace. In other words, it is through this study, whether it's history, mathematics, whatever, and, and you see that God is the ultimate logos in holding everything together, our students should have a greater and greater understanding of where they're fitting into this. And they're fitting into it either as a rebel or as someone who has surrendered to Him. We are trying to bring about a generation of people who belong to Christ's kingdom, who want to advance his kingdom and live according to his way, Christ's way. You're going to have people whose desires are shaped according to that kingdom, that love of God, rather than love of self. Augustine talks about that in the city of God. There's two cities. There's always been two cities. Uh, the city of man that is based upon the love of self, and there's the city of God based on love for God. And this is how education ought to play out, is this training of the affections. All of it fits into shaping souls. There's a debate going on 
about what is a university, what is a college, what is an education for? And so here are a few options that are being thrown out and discussed. One is it is for persons to gain skills so that they can get a job. Another view of education is, and this is sort of becoming more and more explicit, actually, more and more professors are actually articulating this other view, that an education is for political activism. There are people defending this view, that that's the point of an education to develop students to become activists. A third model for the goal of education is knowledge production, discovering new facts. So this is kind of the research model for the university. What's interesting is that as I'm following the debate, at least at the sort of national level, nobody has mentioned educating for wisdom. That wisdom is actually the goal of education. So anyway, I wonder if you would just sort of comment on that, what you've seen, especially maybe at the K through 12 levels, blunders or, you know, models at even the K through 12 level that sort of embody those different approaches to education. I think there's a preponderance of parents. I'll, I'll start with parents first. Have in mind, they want a good life for their children. And in their good life, they're assuming that the good life is going to come through their student going to a good college so they can get a good job. So it's very reductionist, and they're more interested in their grades. Our students at Providence Academy, they'll write a lot of papers in their time when they're at school. And it is rare, rare that a parent will read what their student has written. I will have sometimes parents who will call because they're not happy with the grade that their child received. And when I ask them, did you read their child's paper? The answer has always been no. Here's their child who is presenting their thoughts, their ordered reason regarding a particular topic, which is a reflection of their own thinking. And parents are sometimes disinterested in that. I think the majority of parents, I think, are still stuck in the mindset that it's this pragmatic view of education so that they can get into a good school and get a good job. If we produce a good person through our education, they're going to get into a good school. They're going to get a good job. They're going to do well. But if we focus simply on academics, and that's the end, whether they become a good person or not is up for grabs. The political activism, I think there's a given amongst younger teachers. They're trying to help their students discover their passions or their desires, right? What's your passion? Are you passionate to music? Well, then you should go into music. If you're passionate with science, you should go into the science fields. If you're passionate with history, you should go into history. I think today the overwhelming passion has to do with enabling everyone to live out whatever they want. The, the problem is, is that they're children, and children don't know what they want. Often what happens is they're taking on the desires that the society is telling them, and indirectly the teachers who are also guided by society. The idea is, is that if you follow your passion, you're going to be happy. That's just not true. Like, it's never been true. I can't think of any philosopher or wise man, even in the world, who would tell you that. It's our ability to control our emotions and our passions to be able to do the right thing, right? And then the debate becomes, what is the right thing? But today, we don't even think that way, and it's destroying our children. When I was born in 1967, you would understand that happiness is going to revolve around somehow me fulfilling my function as a male to be a husband and father and to provide for a household. The passionate part is going to be fitting within that overarching narrative. Today, kids are grown up with nothing. 
if there is no God, if there is no truth, if there is no meaning or purpose to life because we're just all atoms, everything becomes your choice. Like it's all up to them. Follow your passion. Well, how many times do your passions change in the first 12 years of your life or their first 18 years of your life or their first 25 years of your life? They change all the time and they're always disappointing. The younger generations now, they're coming out of K-12 through education with an enormous amount of anxiety. By the time they get to college, they don't know where to go. They have no hope for the future because it's all up to them. There's a desperate need for good education because it points us in the universals. It points us to what is truly human, what's truly true and good and beautiful. And our world longs for it. They long for it. Young people long for it. They just don't know where to get it. You're describing a kind of education fit for demons. My passions, which are incredibly unstable, which wax and wane in terms of their intensity, which, as you mentioned, right, change, but also conflict, right? Right now, if I were to do a serious introspection, I would notice multiple passions that cannot be satisfied simultaneously, but also, you know, can't even be satisfied in the long run together, right? I almost, I have to choose really one of them to realize, and the other one's just simply going to fall by the wayside. So there's conflict, there's change. What this produces is an unbelievably disintegrated human being. It's like our lives become more and more commercial segments rather than coherent stories. And so this is the type of person, this is the type of, of human being that we are producing in the political activist model for education. I mean, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, I, I hadn't noticed some of the things that you were articulating there. Just to be frank, our public education is producing this. It's unspiritual, it's worldly, it's demonic. The theologian Thomas Oden talks about this idea of when we're following all these passions, and, and, and those passions become our gods, those are like idols, and they conflict with each other constantly. What we understand is we're sacrificing some value for another, and so it's a constant state of guilt. And with a guilty past, it produces an anxious future. Because if this is my experience in my past, is that I'm continually sacrificing various goods to receive other goods, and those idols that I have continue to change in my life, I'm going to be anxious about the future because the track record's not good. And he says that the experience then we have in the present between a guilty past and an anxious future is boredom. And so what happens then is, is that you wake up in the morning and the idea is, is, what can I fill my time with? And they tend to go to entertainment. It's wasting their life, which increases their guilt and their anxiety. And they don't know how to get out of it. And what I'm attempting to do is figure out how do I help them? As the church, what do we do? How do we find a way to connect young people with wisdom? I think one of the greatest things we can do is provide a culture within our schools, within our communities, within our churches that show the truth and the goodness and the beauty of the gospel. That it's a community in which we love each other. And when we sin against one another, we show genuine forgiveness. We have a way out of our guilt, that we have hope for our future. How do we connect young people with the gospel? We are in a state, in the West especially, in America perhaps even more especially, where education is radically changing. Again, the activism, all of those sorts of models for education seem new, or maybe they're more explicit today. 
this sort of hyper-focus, as you mentioned, this hyper-focus on passions. Why is God allowing this moment in our culture? Why is he allowing this to happen? What can I, as a believer in Christ, what can I learn from this? What might he be teaching members of the body of Christ with this sort of kind of new-ish manifestation in our culture today? Any thoughts on that? I think we understand that from Romans, God's wrath is allowing us to do what we want. You see a lot of our institutions and other things kind of crumbling, but I've always seen that the slippery slope that's happened in our culture has typically started within the church. When people are reading the Constitution as a living document that you can kind of do whatever you want to it, but uh, didn't the church start doing that first? You know, reading passage and just saying, what do you think this means? What does it mean to you? preaching as if God is our genie. And so then we learn, well, if our passion really is our God, then why do we even need God? What we ought to be doing is teaching our kids, like, God is God, and and this is what he has said in his word, and we're going to obey him. We're following God's commands, not simply because they're good for us, they are, but it's because we love God. I think there's a way in which the church has grown up with kind of a false fear of God and a bit of a moralism and checking the boxes, rather than one of love and grace. When our hearts, our desires are set towards God, we are going to strive to please him and love him. There's some things that we can do, I think, better in the church. We need to talk more about Jesus. What what does that mean? Well, one is, if we're really studying scripture and the gospels, and, and our portrait of Jesus is coming out through not only the gospels, but how the Old Testament points to him, and then we understand him as the fulfillment of these things, and how can you not be incredibly blown away by this man? Let's start singing the Psalms again and realizing they're about him. Let's look at the life of Jesus and what he did. Our students should know Jesus, what he has done, what he has said, and not only that he died on the cross and rose again, but look at his life and how he conducted himself. Look at how smart he was. He was brilliant. Look how strong he was, what kind of leader he was. We need to make Jesus known. We have a very cynical society. There's no honor given to our leaders. And you might answer, well, it's because they don't seem very honorable. So there's this catch-22. We don't want to honor people unless they're honorable, but honorable people only come out of honorable cultures. And one of the things that we have lost in the church even is this whole idea of how do we honor. When people present Jesus, I think a lot of times their their idea is, is that what we really need in our society is just everyone to be nice and get along. So we're going to present Jesus that way. But friends, that's not Jesus. What you're describing, it seems to me, Ron, I think it was beautifully put, is this. We need a culture within the church, within education, where the passions are celebrated, the passions are honored and respected, but they're guided, they're cultivated, they're formed and shaped in the direction of loving God, in the direction of loving neighbor, in the direction of passion for Jesus, and then that, of course, spills over into passion for living, passion for all of these other things. Is that a fair summary of what you were getting at? That is a fair summary. Education has to do with ordered loves. Sin is misordered desire. And how that happens is primarily through culture and not necessarily a didactic education. Um, How do we develop a culture that is influencing our desires is as important as curriculum. When Providence Academy was looking to 
to build a new building. We were out of room uh, space in our, our rented facilities. We bought land. We, we had the audacious idea to build a beautiful building, but one that looked more like a church, like a cathedral. There's a lot of people who think, like, why would you spend money on that? Well, it's because these things shape our affections. They, they shape our, our desires. The students, when they come to Providence Academy, see that building and they understand that they're doing something important. We've done this for Christ and his kingdom, and this is important stuff. And, and so they have a different attitude, right? And when you go into chapel and it's this big vaulted ceiling, the focus isn't on us. It, it lifts your eyes and your hearts upward, that God is transcendent. He's big and we're small, right? <laughs> These things shape our understandings, our, our desires, our, our where we fit into things, and it's intentional. But it's not just the architecture. It's the beauty that we put in our classrooms. It's how we conduct ourselves, reintroducing manners, right? standing up for adults who come into the room, raising our hands when we have a question. After lunch every day, we sing a, a song. It's just incredibly beautiful. We take for granted after a while that you're participating in something that's so beautiful. We, it feels normal, right? Because every day they go to school, that's what we do. Then all of a sudden they go and they realize the rest of the world doesn't do this. And where else are you going to do that? But, but these are the things that cultivate the affections of our heart, that orient them towards Christ and his kingdom. And we understand. So if this is all for Christ and his kingdom, our students are going to somehow understand through the culture, without much even being talked about, although we do talk about these things, that Christ's kingdom has something to do with beauty. Christ's kingdom has this, this goodness and this respect and this honor for those that are older, for those that are teachers. It's just part of the culture, and that does so much to help them. If we can do this in a school, why can't we do this in the churches? Part of my forming this organization called Palatine Institute is that I want to work on how can we help families, how can we help churches, how can we help schools apply this kind of cultural aspect to create Christian culture. To me, the re-evangelization of America, which is desperately needed, I think it's going to be less apologetic work and more cultural work. And I'm saying that as someone who thinks apologetic work is important, that they, have, they get a glimpse of Christ and his kingdom in the culture of the church, in the culture of Providence Christian College, in the culture of Providence Academy, or in Valor Classical Christian Academy. That's going to affect their longing. Amen. Ron, it's been a pleasure. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. You've been listening to The Virtuous Mind, a podcast from Providence Christian College. The mission of Providence Christian College as a reformed Christian institution is to equip students to be firmly grounded in biblical truth, thoroughly educated in the liberal arts, and fully engaged in their church, their community, and the world for the glory of God and for service to humanity. We'd love to have you visit our campus. Providence Christian College is now accepting applications for the upcoming semester. Contact an admissions counselor to learn more. Visit providencecc.edu.